Another one is, I call it the high achiever, having really high standards for achievement and accomplishment in which the person is attaching their worth and value to achievement and accomplishment. And this can actually be anything. A lot of times it comes from like a person who had good grades and like pursued a very particular career path and achieves in other ways. But then it gets projected on this socially uh, really important area, which is health and fitness and body and weight and all these things. So now we're looking at someone who essentially is using their body to get social status and respect. The, the core need that they have is to get respect and status. And you can just imagine this person pretty easily. They're the marathon runner who is like doing everything right, everything by the book. They have absolutely no connection to what they actually want to eat or do or think or feel. They're just trying to do things right to make people think they have their shit together. It's all often very much in that line. The big question is this. In a world of fake Instagram models and fad diets, how do real people achieve their fitness goals? We are an army of hardworking women changing their lives through fitness and health. Wherever you are at on your journey, we have the answers to how to make working out and eating well a part of your life. Join us in changing the dialogue for women everywhere. Welcome to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. I'm Kelsey. I'm Rachel. And we have an amazing guest on today. We're so excited for you guys to hear from Jessie Nealon. She's a certified life coach and clinical sexologist on a mission to help women break free from body image issues, body anxiety, and body hatred. Let's go. She is. I'm here for it. I'm here here for it. it. She's going to dig into the root causes of body image issues and she helps people move toward body neutrality, radical self acceptance, and a deep sense of self worth and confidence that has nothing to do with how you look. Let's go. Imagine that world. Yeah. Like Jess, we're we're recording this intro a little bit after we, the podcast with Jesse was unbelievable. She has so many amazing things to say and such an important message for the world. Talk about saying it eloquently too. She is wonderfully spoken. And I think that there is something for everyone in this podcast. So enjoy you guys. This is a special one. I just want to welcome Jesse. We're so, so thrilled to have you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. I'm so excited to have you too. And I just want to kind of get right into it and let you and let our listeners hear from you because you're doing such amazing work. But can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Uh, Yeah, I got started in the fitness industry. So I was a personal trainer. I was working in New York City. I was working with models and actresses and the women who kind of set the standard for beauty in our culture and everybody was having the same kinds of conversations in no matter what they looked like, you know, the, the models were having the same conversations as like the soccer moms and, you know, regarding how they feel about their bodies and, and these sort of microscopic invisible complaints that a lot of them would have. And I just realized also at the time I was incredibly lean. I very much had like the fitness model kind of body that people would like come up to me at coffee shops and be like, Oh my God, you know, what do you do for exercise? I want to do that. And mine came from lifting heavy and I loved it, but I also became aware that somehow the, the quote unquote better I looked, like the more insecure I felt, I felt very, very like nitpicky, whereas I hadn't necessarily felt that before. And I, it just, it, it took up a lot of mental real estate where it hadn't before. 
And so all of these women are coming to me to like feel better in their bodies through getting in shape. And I, I saw that happen with them as well. They would come in, not feeling good about their bodies, get in better shape. You know, maybe they change aesthetically and they still don't feel good about their bodies. Sometimes they feel even worse about their bodies because they tried so hard for two years or whatever it is. And they, you know, still haven't achieved perfection. And just the whole thing seems so broken to me. And I, I wanted to have better conversations with people that could actually get them what they really wanted. So I went to a life coaching certification program and soon after changed over my entire business and brand from fitness to body image because I realized like fitness is a great tool, like getting strong. It's awesome. It helps a lot of women, especially feel really good embodied, empowered, but it doesn't do what they're hoping because looking the right way isn't going to make them feel how they want to feel, which is good in their own skin. That is just something that I think is so relatable. The idea that everything will change in my life once I look this certain way, right? Like if I could just lose that 20 pounds, if I could just get that Botox, if I could just, everything will change for me. All these doors will open and I will feel so different. And I think that anybody who has ever achieved any of those things that they were hoping to do, they did lose that 20 pounds. They realized that there's always something else. And it's something that you can only experience once you kind of have done it and realize, oh, that wasn't what was broken. It wasn't the 20 pounds. I, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so we've heard you talk a lot about that body image issues don't discriminate along those same lines. And I just am wondering, can you talk about more, a little bit more about this, about why body image issues aren't actually about your body? Yeah. So I say they don't discriminate. I will say like, there is discrimination in the world. It can be based on your body, meaning people in larger bodies are discriminated against systematically. That's a true thing that's happening. But what that doesn't mean is only people in larger bodies or, or marginalized bodies have body image issues because body image issues are, oh, first of all, body image is just what you, like your own perception of, of your body and has honestly almost nothing to do with what other people actually, how they perceive you a lot of the time because we just don't see ourselves accurately. We don't honestly see anybody else accurately either. Like dysmorphia is sort of a standard state for our brains. We don't really get to see people objectively because how we feel about them will change what we see. Literally our brains are putting together a different version of someone's face if we adore them or if we feel disgusted by them or if we hate them. So this is happening constantly. It just also happens to happen with ourselves. And, you know, we live in a superficial culture with mirrors and makeup and all these reasons that we're supposed to be checking how we look. So it becomes really, really a big fixation for a lot of us where we start to get a funhouse version. When we look in the mirror, we see something completely different than what other people are seeing. This is why every person on earth wants to assure their best friend and sister and mom and whoever that they're gorgeous. And that person, it just doesn't matter. They you can say it all day long. It won't change what they see because it's really your own perception of yourself based on how you feel about yourself, what's coming up for you emotionally, chemically, and hormonally. Um, you know, mental health can affect this. Um, feelings of accomplishment can affect this, which is why if you happen to be feeling really proud of yourself for like a work thing that day, you just like crushed it at a board meeting or something, you might have a pretty okay body day. You might be like, huh. And I think I look kind of okay or even cute. And then on a day where it's like something, you know, your boss was disappointed in you or your partner was like something was going wrong. You feel like you failed someone, whatever the thing is, that might be a day where you feel the absolute worst. You look in the mirror and go, I am disgusting. I don't know why anyone would ever be with me. So just watching those things play out, they could be 
Monday and Tuesday, those two experiences, you know? So it obviously isn't about how you look. You did not change in that time. So that's how we know that how you feel about how you look is constantly changing. That's your body image. But it's not necessarily related in any way to how you look or how other people perceive how you look. Yeah, I love that distinction there because I think there is a general idea that if someone looks a way that you perceive to be desirable, your assumption is that they feel good in their own body. And that's just not true. (laughs) And your assumption on how somebody else feels is really irrelevant to how we feel about ourselves. So along those same lines, like talking about body neutrality versus the body positive movement. There are some distinct differences there, but can you kind of talk about what body neutrality is? Yeah. So my definition of body neutrality is pretty simple. And it's that you have a relationship with your body in which you know, it doesn't affect your worth in any way. Doesn't impact, doesn't affect your worth, doesn't shine any light on your character. It doesn't mean anything about you basically. So neutrality is a state in which you have disconnected yourself from all the stories we learned about what a body means. And at that point, you might like it, you might not like it. It's sort of an irrelevant fact because it just doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. So you can look in the mirror and go, I'm, I'm not loving what I'm seeing today, but luckily that doesn't mean a single thing about me. So I'll just carry on with my day. Unlike what we tend to do, which is to put a ton of pressure and meaning on what we're seeing and on what we're feeling about what we're seeing. So we'll say, oh, I don't like what I see, which means I can't go to the pool because I won't be seen in a bikini, which means that now I'm going to be letting my friend down. And it, it just sort of starts to become this whole thing. It, it dictates action. Also, I should go on a diet. Also, I should get Botox. Like It changes stuff because it's got power because you believe that what you're seeing has meaning and what you're feeling about how you're seeing yourself has meaning. So neutrality is just the state of getting rid of all that stuff so that you can go, I look however, whatever today. And that's just, (laughs) it's just neutral information. Kind of like your shoe size, uh, you know, or something else about you where you're like, yeah, okay, that's the size shoe I have. I don't have to necessarily feel good about my shoe size or bad about my shoe size. I don't think about it much because it's just neutral information. Helps me buy shoes. I think that that is, I think it's a lot different say than the body positivity movement. And I think that a lot of women are a little bit hesitant to get themselves involved in the body positivity movement because they feel as if they're going to have to force themselves into loving things that they don't love and faking this whole like, I love my curves, even though I, I really don't. And I love my big nose, even though I, it's not my favorite. And I think that the idea of sort of forcing and faking is overwhelming to a lot of people that they think like maybe they can do it in the short term, but there's no way they can hold that up. And I think that that is a lot of the reason why some people have a difficult time getting on board with that movement. And I think that that's a really great distinction that you're making, that it doesn't have to be loving things you don't love. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And the body positivity movement, it has sort of been commandeered in a weird way by like mainstream media. It started very much as an extension of the fat acceptance movement, and it is fighting for essentially just civil rights and the ability to be treated with dignity for all people in all body sizes, um, particularly those who have been discriminated against and marginalized. I take no issue with that at all. That's awesome. That should continue. But it kind of became mainstream understood as like women loving how they look. And that not only, I think, really misses the boat in some ways, like it really misses the point. 
as far as I'm concerned of like, if you want to feel better in your skin, you don't have to love how you look and trying to love how you look when we've got a whole lifetime of information about what is a good way to look and what is a bad way to look is just going to set most people up for failure. It's going to make most people feel like, cool. Now I don't like how I look. And I, you know, I'm failing the body positivity movement and now I've failed twice. So I feel like it just adds that sort of extra layer of shame for a lot of people to think that they have to like or love how they look when neutrality just comes in and says, honestly, that's not the point. You're amazing. You're so much more interesting. You're so much more valuable to the world for things that have nothing to do with how you look. And the fact that we keep talking about how you look is sort of boring. So let's focus on who you are as a person, connect with that, take pride in that, take um, self-respect in that, take all of these things and then build your world from there. And you're going to be a lot more confident in the long run than if you tried to love how you look and try to get confident because of that. It just falls flat for most people. Oh my God. It's kind of boring. <laughs> Guys, it's kind of boring. Right? I'm freaking here for that. I'm, I'm kind of bored with talking about how we all look like as if it matters. I'm so bored with that. And I'm so like, Oh, I'm here for it. Jesse, you talk about body image issues that fall under kind of four distinct categories of like root causes. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Yeah. So this came out of my coaching practice and just seeing patterns of what was going on. Basically, my job as a body image coach is to help people understand what their particular body image is actually about and then deal with that thing directly. That's the simplest way I can put it. It looks very different depending on the person, but there are patterns, right? So I kind of pulled together these four, I call them the body image avatars, these four avatars for what is going on for root causes. And I don't know that they necessarily like include everything a person could feel bad about, but they tend to be the biggest reasons I'm seeing, particularly women, but honestly, people of all genders coming to me to work on body image. So the root causes are feeling like an outsider, meaning they, they feel like they don't have anywhere that they belong. And essentially that turns into body image issues because the hope is if I look the right way, I'll belong or I'll feel like I belong. People will accept me and I'll feel like I belong. Now that's an innate human need to belong. Like literally we wouldn't have survived if we didn't belong. We are a communal animal. So this is a deep, deep part of us. Um, I think people really want to trivialize this stuff sometimes. And they're like, oh, it's just superficial. You're just vain. And I'm like, no, no, no. People think they'll die if they don't, you know, like in a genetic way, we feel like we'll die if we don't belong somewhere with a community. And so if you have felt that way a lot, then it's understandable that'll get turned, projected onto your body. Like, oh, okay, that's the way that I'll get this need met, this need for survival met. Um, another one is self-objectification, which is essentially like viewing yourself as a sexual object, typically through the eyes of others, often men. I mean, the male gaze is a huge part of this for women, even women who don't sleep with their partner with men. This tends to be just part of the male gaze because it's the world we live in, because of who makes media, because of all of these you know, images that we see. And essentially what that means is if you have a need, an emotional need in the space of intimacy, partnership, or secure partnership, you know, love or a certain kind of fulfilling sex, the body image part of that is that you think, okay, if I look a certain way, I get those needs met. And again, these are innate needs. Like we want connection. We want partnership. We want fulfilling sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy. We want those so badly. And we've been taught that only a certain kind of person gets to have them and they look this way. So if you're not getting them, you just have to change how you look and then you can. Or if you 
if you do look that way and you're not getting them, it, it just sort of throws a huge wrench in the whole plan. It's all very confusing um, and brings up a lot of cognitive dissonance depending on where the person's coming from, if they have a body that fits or doesn't fit society standards. But either way, that's that's a root cause. It's just self-objectification and the idea that you could get your needs in those spaces met by looking a certain way. Another one is, I call it the high achiever, having really high standards for achievement and accomplishment in which the person is attaching their worth and value to achievement and accomplishment. And this can actually be anything. A lot of times it comes from like a person who had good grades and like pursued a very particular career path and achieves in other ways. But then it gets projected on this socially uh, really important area, which is health and fitness and body and weight and all these things. So now we're looking at someone who essentially is using their body to get social status and respect. The, the core need that they have is to get respect and status. And you can just imagine this person pretty easily. They're the marathon runner who is like doing everything right, everything by the book. They have absolutely no connection to what they actually want to eat or do or think or feel. They're just trying to do things right to make people think they have their shit together. It's all often very much in that line. And then the last one is the runner is, is what I call it. And basically the runner's core need is security or safety. And what they're really trying to do is use their body to feel the way they want to feel, which is safe in the world, which is very difficult to do. There's a lot of reasons we're actually not safe in the world because of external forces. If somebody has trauma, then they know they're not safe in the world. That's very difficult. That, that plays out in their relationship with their body in a lot of different ways. And also just, we don't learn how to feel our own feelings. And so a lot of times it feels like the danger comes from inside, that if I let myself feel my sadness or my anger that I'll explode or something terrible will happen, you know, that I won't be able to, to survive it. And so a lot of times the person who is numbing out a lot in order to try to feel safe or to, to basically give themselves relief from anxiety and fear, that person tends to either be like an over-exerciser, somebody who diets a lot and like goes that direction, or they could go the total other direction. They're like couch potato, afraid to move, you know, um, gets really anxious, and binge eats or goes through whatever other numbing things. This person can also, you know, eating disorders are a really big way of numbing and, and offering a feeling of relief from that unsafety as well. And then we've got like addiction, you know, this person might have a shopping issue. They might. So this, this is another thing that just happens to go hand in hand with a lot of other numbing patterns, but body image can become a place that you numb. It can become a way of repressing and suppressing all the stuff that is too hard to feel inside and trying to control everything that is too hard to tolerate on the outside. So those are the four. I think those are just like super profound <laughs> breakdowns of different ways a lot of women will connect with their body image issues. Because I think when we start to talk about body image, it seems to be this like one track. You have body image issues if you feel or express them in this way and realizing that there are many ways that people are expressing and experiencing their body issues is just so important to kind of like wrap our heads around and be able to provide support for each other. Even if, you know, someone's root cause is different than ours, recognizing we both have these body image issues. Did you identify there, yourself? Are, I did. <laughs> I did. I identified myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, that one's you me. There it's, going, it's going by. <laughs> I see it. That's me right there. Well, that's such an important part though, that, you know, when we're, when we're listening to these and recognizing that everyone is going to express them in, in very different ways, but we can, you know, still be there to like kind of support each other through whatever way you're expressing your, your body image issues. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing breakdown there. <laughs> 
So I guess I wanted to talk about, you had said something, I think it was on your TED talk, but it might have been on your Instagram too, because I've been stalking both. Um, <laughs> you have talked about a lot of women feeling at war with their bodies and recognizing that your body has always been fighting for you, not against you. And I guess like my question around that was just like, how can we start to heal our personal relationship with our bodies and start to not see our body as the enemy? So I just want to go back for a second and say that what you just said in terms of supporting each other and understanding the different root causes, the reason I'm so passionate about talking about it this way and giving it these really clear containers, it's the issue I take with a lot of the body positivity or love yourself kind of messaging is what works for one person is absolutely not going to work for the other person because it comes from a totally different place. So you've got one person being like, oh, I just, you know, I, I did manifestation work and meditation and mantras and it really worked for me because it helped me reprogram this thing. And you're like, okay, well, that would accomplish absolutely nothing for me. So now I feel like, oh, I guess I just, I'm so broken, you know, I can't even do the work that's supposed to help. So the pathways for each of these root causes of what heals them is different. So I would say the first I mean, it's a complicated question, but the first thing is you figure out what's really going on. You figure out why your relationship with your body is so fraught. What beliefs have you, what beliefs are going on that are causing you to blame your body for something, you know, like for betraying you at some point along the line or resenting it or hating it for some reason. And this goes way beyond like, oh, I just don't like it because I have cellulite. And this gets really deep into like, I believe that I will not be able to find uh, love and partnership and intimacy until I look a certain way because men are visual and they, they, they wouldn't want to be with someone who looks like me or they'll cheat on me. And so like it gets really deep and really painful once you start going way underneath. You can just say, I don't like my legs, but that's, that doesn't tell us what's really going on. So I think the first thing is really trying to identify what is actually going on and what emotional needs you've been asking your body to try to get met for you, which most of the time it can't. And that's why this plan has failed. And that's why you hate your body. Because if you're like, ah, oh, I really want to belong. And I keep trying to diet so that I can belong. And then my body won't let me. Or maybe I succeeded and I still didn't belong. This is all my body's fault. My body sucks. It's very easy to start hating the thing that failed at a plan it couldn't succeed at. So in a lot of ways, like you just have to figure out what plan you gave it. What, what you were trying to have it do for you what problem you were trying to have it solve for you and then figure out how to solve it another way. Cause your body can't do that. Dude, that just, that just releases so much pent up anxiety. I feel like for so many people, just that recognition of like, I was asking my body to do something that it could never do. And in actuality, now that I understand that, I can make a separate plan that would actually work. Yeah. I mean, like the doors just swing so wide open on your life because every single thing that was relying on your body that it could never, you know, actually show up for has now just become so much more. The doors just swing wide open. And I just think that's so hopeful. Like all I hear from that is just like so much hope. And I, I just, like, I don't know. I freaking love hope. I'm here for it. So can we just talk about a second about you refer to a body size identity. Can you talk about like carrying around a body size identity and what that is and what it means? Sure. So 
I assume you're referring to the thing I was talking about most recently on Instagram, where I polled my audience. I did a little story about how body size is entirely relative, right? It's you think to yourself, I'm small because people around you are big. You think to yourself, you're big because people around you are small. There is no objective big and small. It's all relative. So I just pulled my audience, like, what have you learned about yourself, you know, especially in childhood growing up that really stuck with you in adulthood, even if it doesn't apply anymore. And I got flooded with answers that were just everything across the map that you could ever imagine. But a lot of it was like, I was the tall kid because my siblings and friends were short. Um, or I shot up in second grade. I was like really tall for a second grader, but then I stayed there and I am now a short adult person who feels like a tall person on the inside. Like I, I move through the world thinking of myself like I'm awkwardly tall when actually like statistically I'm a short person. Everything, everything you can imagine. It was like that, you know, kids who are chubby kids who carry that identity into adulthood and they feel like perpetually too big, even though they are objectively small and reversed really skinny kids who grew up to be curvy, you know, full figured adults who still feel like they're, they're too little or most of these were insecurities. I didn't see a single answer where someone was like, and I love that. It feels awesome. Every single one of them was, and I feel bad about that. It's like this identity that I've carried is something that is an insecurity that has stuck with me for life. Even if I tell my people I meet now and they're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what are you talking about? That's the identity. So this is exactly what I was talking about before in terms of what we see when we look in the mirror has so little to do with what other people see. And it has everything to do with the stories we carry about ourselves. And during a very formative time in childhood, you might have formed a story about yourself, like I'm the small one or I'm the big one. And that story just sticks like nonsensically. And then nobody else can understand why you feel so insecure about this one thing. You had a huge nose for a kid and now your nose is totally normal and you still feel like it's horrifying, you know, makes you look like a monster and you need to hide it with contouring. And everybody else who looks at you is like, you look totally normal. I don't understand this. Why are you so insecure? But it's those things that come with us. It's those pieces that get built into identity in the story about how we hold ourselves that are almost always about belonging. Because what we really want, at, especially at that formative, those formative years, is just to feel like we belong. So when you identify something that makes you not belong, something that might threaten you, your social status or your social situation, your ability to connect with people, that will feel dangerous. You will take note of that. And that's kind of evolutionarily adaptive in some ways. It, not necessarily about your body, because we weren't necessarily supposed to have mirrors and cameras and images of people all over. But, but there is something to that. It's like if you were to look around in your village and they were all tall and you were really small, that might mean something. You, it might be a little alarm system going off that actually makes sense. But we take that and we apply it to the modern day and beauty standards and fat phobia and capitalism and every imaginable thing. And it just becomes for most people that I talk to a body image issue that, that just doesn't make sense to the people who know, you know. Absolutely. And I mean, that comparison went from like, you look around in like your village or your tribe or whatever, and you have comparisons there. And now with the internet, our comparisons are massive. Like they have just gone into like, now your tribe is some famous people and, <laughs> and like the Kardashians and like all of these things that are just like beyond, I think like what our scope should have ever been for like a normal basis for a comparison. And then we're wondering why we're constantly suffering with this 
idea of comparison, whether it's body image or like who has the best or happiest, healthiest life and like who is successful and who is not. And it's just this constant game of like, I am not good enough, which is what we talk to our listeners about a lot, because that just seems to be the root of a lot of the discussion that, that we have and a lot of the, the hatred that can be developed with our bodies and our lives. And the, the next thing I wanted to, to kind of talk about led into like diet culture and weight loss. I mean, I guess like there's a large celebration always around like weight loss and the discussion. I guess, why should we kind of stop celebrating weight loss in general? Oh man. <laughs> so where I'm coming from with that is the harm that it causes people who I work with daily to have been complimented on having a smaller body is lifelong damage that they are spending, you know, years and decades unpacking and healing from that was intended to be kindness. Because when someone says, Oh, you look so great, you must have lost weight, they're trying to say something nice to you. They're trying to celebrate and praise you. Because we have an association in our culture, our fat phobic culture, that thin is good and fat is bad, therefore weight loss is good and weight gain is bad. So it's intended to be kindness, but what it does is it reinforces that that person, that their value is related to their appearance and weight, which means that you have to work really hard in order to maintain that or to lose it again if you ever gain it back, um, and that you're worth less if you gain it back, and that you should probably live in fear because you know you know that you could gain it at any moment if you just uh, decided to be a little more relaxed about what you do for exercise. And it just becomes this really anxiety-provoking situation, even for someone who is thin. And it becomes super harmful for anybody who is not thin because they not only, sometimes if they go through weight fluctuations, they're being given praise and celebration when they lose it, but then they're bouncing back and gaining it. And since diets fail 95% of the time, we can pretty much assume that that yo-yo back and forth is going to be a lot more common than someone just losing the weight and keeping it off. So it just causes so much harm to everybody. And a person who is given the idea that their value is attached to their weight and they failed is more harmful in a lot of ways because it connects to like systemic harm that they're, they're also you know, being viewed uh, with a certain bias that makes their life a lot more difficult. Like they are less likely to be given a job or a loan or get into school just because they have a larger body and we have associations with what that means. So it's really dangerous in that way, but it's also, it's also harming people who are thin. It's harming everybody. There's nobody who wins from this. I can't think of a single reason to keep doing it. And yet it is happening constantly. And because of the way we've all been conditioned, it's really, really difficult to break the habit. It's just such an automatic knee-jerk assumption. You see someone who's lost weight and you're like, oh my gosh, you look great. It is very difficult to be like, wait a second, are you okay? What's going on in your life? Or maybe just don't say anything at all. Um, but people with eating disorders are being praised for how thin they are or what weight they've lost. People who are going through cancer uh, treatment are being praised. People who have anxiety and are going through divorce and are having a mental breakdown. There's so many reasons a person could lose weight that should not be assumed to be a good thing. It causes harm just across the board. So that is why I'm very against commenting on other people's bodies at all, ever, but particularly when it comes to, to weight praise, weight loss praise. At all, ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, Kelsey and I experienced this like firsthand the other day with some friends where one of the friends was commenting on the fact that she can get in the size smaller than she normally wears. 
and was telling as a joke, you know, she can get in a size smaller because she hasn't been able to eat because of all of her anxiety. <laughs> and everyone went, yeah, girl. Yeah. on that size smaller. And I, it is one thing certainly to, you know, celebrate someone's weight loss as a meaning, a well-meaning compliment and have that ignorance. It is another thing when a person admits <laughs> the reason for their weight loss is a completely unhealthy mental state and we don't even skip a beat. Yeah, but still, still though, you lost that weight, girl. You know what I'm saying? You're in that size smaller, girl. And it's like, it's so, it gave me so much pause to how broken everything is that we just skipped over her mental health and went right to you're in the small. I mean, worth it. I had a friend go through a divorce and it was the same thing. She was like, the only upside to my com my life completely falling apart is I fit into the same clothes I fit into in high school. So that's cool. And it was just such a brutal way of holding space for, for that time. Um, but it is very common. We see it all the time. I just have all the feels about, in particular for women and little girls and Diet culture in itself is a really big issue that anybody in our space is fighting an uphill battle, right? Because there is always these very, very loud messages and women and girls are brought up on these from a very, very young age. But if you could give anybody any piece of advice on how to counteract diet culture and how to sort of achieve a body neutrality stance in the way of all of these things coming in because it feels like you almost have to wear a suit of armor all the yeah. time. My advice is to commit to your re-education. It's to get yourself radicalized, to keep going down the rabbit hole on purpose, to read all the things, to listen to the blogs, to fill your feed with people who know what they're talking about. The reason for this is because we've gotten such a terrible education. We've been so misinformed everywhere and both in terms of like official education. Cause you know, we also have like a health class in high school that teaches you to like eat the food pyramid. Oh wait, whoops. Turns out the food pyramid doesn't work. How about this other plan? Like there's misinformation that's actually being taught in that way. And then there's just the kind we absorb from our families, our friends, our coworkers, our magazines, our morning shows, <laughs> our everything. You read a book on keto and you're like, okay, I've just learned so much about how the body works, but you've learned a biased version. These are all biased versions. So the re-education, the, the best way I can think of it is, is it's setting the scales closer to zero. You're never going to get back to zero, but it's, it's doing the writing of the ship in the best possible way. And part of this for me, I know it's like, as someone who was really in the, the world of being evidence-based, I believed I was right when I was in diet culture. I believed that people who didn't try to lose weight were, were taking unnecessary risks with their health and they were being really risky and dangerous. Going to like get sick and I wasn't. And I mean, this whole thing, it was like, that's what I was learning in my classes around fitness, nutrition, science, like all this. That's where I was learning hormone optimization. So it was all like, you got to eat so clean and you got to work out like this and you can don't sit for more than however long at a time. And I just realized now it, it may be true on some level in certain circumstances, those could be taken into account. I mean, if you're talking like a professional athlete who needs to recover perfectly, then, then certainly some of that science is relevant. But for the, the average person, that science 
even if it's really, really good science and true, it's just going to mess your head up and make you feel like a crazy person every time you sit down to try to eat a meal or decide whether to go for a walk or go to the gym or take a nap. So what I decided in the end, as I was getting re-educated on all this, it's like, the science here is fine. But if you zoom out and take the science of just being people, like that doesn't matter anymore because now we're talking about people existing in the world and what optimizes your, your hormones in this one particular way by eating something with a certain amount of vitamins. It's like, that's not helpful for almost anyone. So I feel like getting into disordered wellness and, and food and exercise patterns is really easy when you look at it that way. And the re-education stuff of like health at every size, intuitive eating. The f- I don't know if you guys swear on here, but the fuck it diet. Um, and, and all of these books that like really the anti-diet book, all of these books really reintroduce you to the science in a way that takes it into a better scope for actual human people. And it says, yeah, sure. Maybe that would be true. Like maybe, science, maybe sugar isn't good for you. Right. But let's really break down those studies and look at what actually was going on in those studies and what actually goes on in human people's lives. So it just changes everything to have science tell you why what you thought was really true. Isn't quite as true as you thought. And it, it's just, I can't think of another way to be as effective in fighting back against diet culture. Um, and maybe that's just me. I mean, I, I love the science aspect of all of this, but it, it just, it gives you that power so that the next time someone's like, Oh, in, you know, I'm trying to avoid carbs because they're so bad for you that you're not like, wait, are they probably are bad for me? You're right. I should, this is so embarrassing. I'm eating carbs. You get to be like, Hey, actually that's not really true. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you just have the power in your back pocket to be like, I can give you a whole bunch of reasons why that is not helpful or true. I love that. And I love having the alternative responses because I think that it, even as you educate yourself and change the way that you're personally living your life and the choices that you're making, you're still hit within your, your journey of healing. You're still really hit with things that make you question yourself and the choices that you're making. And I really want to normalize that too, because I think that personally on my journey to accepting my body and, and, you know, body image issues, like you can be like, okay, I'm, I'm doing so great. And then you're hit with like, you go to the beach with a friend and then they make a comment and you're like, Oh, uh, (laughs) am I, am I really okay? Like, or should I be doing these other things? And it kind of makes you like take a step back and question what it is that you're doing. Is it enough? Could I be doing more? You know, it, it kind of like sends us down that spiral and something that I've been thinking about a lot, you know, talking about some of the, when the discussion with our friends and like, when people that we are around are disclosing something about themselves, such as I have lost so much weight because I'm under a tremendous amount of stress and my mental health is not good, not skipping over that part (laughs) and really finding some alternative language there that we can have in our back pockets, kind of like the science that we can have to, to like navigate a new way to respond to that. Because I think sometimes we're caught off guard. We have the information and then we're like, okay, but what do I say instead? Like, what, what is my, what is my next question? Like, is it just like, whoa, like, can we talk about that? Like, can we talk about your mental health? 
Um, (laughs) Absolutely. And having those responses and setting boundaries with people who really want to comment either on their own bodies and food intake in front of you or your body and food intake, which is so common among my clients. They'll be like, okay, I'm, you know, I I finally found these moments in which I realized I'm okay. I'm not connected to how I look. And then I went and I visited my mother-in-law and now I'm right back where I was because she looked at me, you know, did a once over and said, oh honey, you're getting fat. And And it just, these moments you cannot take them passively and expect to be okay. Because when you take that moment and don't say anything, which is the common response, you basically tell yourself like, it's true, it's valid, you know, it's, it's a bad thing, whatever it is. So you have to learn how to also set boundaries in that space and respond as, as an advocate for yourself so that you know there will be someone who advocates for you. Because that is a super rude and uncomfortable thing to say. And you should say that back. It's her discomfort that she should be holding it. You should not have to hold it. So learning to say things like, Oh, I didn't realize we were going to talk about bodies today. Or, hmm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in talking about my weight with you. Like there are these moments that you can, you can respond. Or if you want to be a little more aggressive, you can certainly say, I'm not available for, you know, having my body assessed by someone right now. Or you could even say like, I've been trying to overcome my body image issues and comments like that are really harmful to my mental health. Like there's ways you can push back against these in every little situation, including when someone's praising you and say, Oh, you've lost so much weight. That's great. And you go, Oh, actually it's coming from a really stressful negative experience in my life of my mental health, which I would much prefer to talk about than the fact that I've lost weight. Or, you know, like these are places where when you get comfortable speaking up and speaking back, all of a sudden those comments lose a lot of their power. Because the only reason they have power is we just passively go, hmm, mm-hmm. And then we hold it, whatever it was, you know, good, bad, whatever it was, we hold it. And take all of their all of their issues that yeah. they're just projecting and exactly. then like absorb them onto ourselves. I think further, I think if you are around a woman who is being objectified in this way, and you don't see her speak, speak for her. (laughs) Oh, I don't think she was really talking about her body right now. So I don't know why you are. I mean, (laughs) I I have these things in the shower where I'm like, that's what I should have said, damn it. (laughs) Damn it. Why didn't I say that at the time? But I think you're right. I think just being being clear with those boundaries and being armed with those 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 little clap packs, yeah, right off, you know, that you can just pull from your back pocket and doing it for other women and doing it for yourself and just saying like, you know what, I'm not here for your baggage today. I got enough. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much. Yeah. Moving on. It takes practice. I will say it's, it's a lot easier said than done. It takes practice. It takes building up. I think getting the reeducation is important because it really gives you the confidence to step into it. Because then what if their next comment is, well, but isn't being thinner healthier. And you're like, uh, I can't remember why, but no, (laughs) (laughs) it's so helpful to have that stuff just in you so that if someone challenges it or steps into that space, you know what, how to handle it. I absolutely love it. I think it's just the whole thing is just so needed. It's so it's so been needed and it's needed to every single generation. Like this is the stuff that our daughters need to be seeing in the world is women saying those things. And I just it's just the example that could change it could change everything. We, it could change everything if they are brought up in a different way. 
than we were. And it's just, it's so important and we can do the work right now. So Jesse, this has been so amazing. I Can you give our listeners an idea of where they can hear more from you? Because you have such important messaging and we cannot obviously cover it in all in one podcast. So of tell course. them where they can find you. So you can find me on my website, jessineeland.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at jessineeland. And I do have an avatars guide that goes more in depth about the four root cause avatars that I was talking about before for sale on my website. And you can also find the link in my Instagram bio. Perfect. Thank you so much. And definitely check guys, check her out on all of these. I told you I've been stalking them and I like <laughs> went down a hole and I was like <laughs> watching all the videos. And I'm like, I'm going to watch her Ted talk. Oh yeah. YouTube them. also. YouTube. Yeah. I have lots of videos. <laughs> yeah. Her Ted talk is amazing. I know you did two Ted talks, but they are all amazing. So absolutely check her out. And thank you so, so, so much for coming on and getting, getting us like in our list listeners a chance to hear from you because it's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. If you'd like to join our movement, head over to the Facebook group and take part in our free weekly workouts for a chance to win some badass gear. Search Fitness Programming by CVG on Facebook. We're in there every day. It's a perfect place to get in touch with us. This podcast is made possible by Constantly Varied Gear, so be sure to check out ConstantlyVariedGear.com. See you next week. Crush your goals.